Our Heavenly Father, we come to you today and I we pray that Lord that this this time would be a blessing to those who are here and uh, that we would as a church that we would um, value your word above all things and so Lord I pray that as we hear your word taught that when we discuss your word that we would understand the importance the critical nature of understanding and Lord that we would strive to give it our all all to understand what you have written here in Genesis chapter 3 Lord, we recognize that we will fall short, yet, Lord, we, we want to strive to please you. And, and Lord, um, it's not that in that falling short, Lord, we know there's grace. Father, we, we know that you will show your grace toward us and if we are in Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would just in love interact with one another. Lord, when we have differences, when we see things differently, Lord, I pray that we would interact in, in, in a way that's pleasing to you. And, Lord, I pray that we would just trust, trust in your word and that we would not lean on our own understanding. Let's thank you for these dear people, these dear saints this morning. In Christ's name, amen. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get started. We waited on you, on you uh, Omar. <laughs> okay, well, as you know, we are in Genesis, the book of Genesis, uh, specifically studying through Genesis 1 through 11. I just want to remind you, um, first, before we start, I want to remind you that this is a interactive study. So we're, we want, I want you guys to ask questions, to stop me, to uh, be willing to interject. And we will try to, for the sake of the recording, we, we're recording this so that others can hear it later, but for the sake of the recording, I'll try to repeat what you say so that we can, so the people on the recording will know kind of what's being said about things. So, let's get started. Um, I just want to remind you quickly uh, how, the, how important the Genesis is, and we, we see here this, if you, weren't, if you were here last time, you'll recognize that, uh, oh, that isn't what I wanted to do. Um, there it is. Well, you'll recognize that there's a, uh, first things, or last things replicate the first things, that there's this, idea of creation in Genesis, new creation, revelation, God's light, God's light, man's rule, man's rule. We went through this last time. There's the old Eden, there's the new Jerusalem or the new Eden, and there's the curse in 317, which is what we're going to get to hopefully in soon, and the curse taken away in Revelation. So I would say for sure understanding Genesis uh, helps us understand the rest of the Bible. Uh, it's that it's that foundational. 
Um, and I would say, I don't think I'm overstating it to say that those who have kind of cut the first few the first few chapters out of the Bible, so to speak, by saying, well, we can't completely understand that, we, whatever the, the excuses they make. The problem with that is, is eventually, eventually there's going to be a lack of understanding, and we already see that even today, a lack of understanding of Scripture because the foundation is gone. Um, that's, that's how important it is, in my, in my opinion. Um, the, again, the foundational nature, it's in the beginning God. In the beginning God created uh, the heavens and the earth. Uh, so the purpose of Genesis is to provide important information regarding the origins of man and sin. And he also lays out his grand plan to redeem man from sin through, a, uh, through Abraham and his posterity. And I think we're going to see that um, hopefully as we go forward into Genesis 11. And then we'll see if we continue to go through uh, from 12 to 50. Um, uh, this is the outline of Genesis, just, to, just again by reminder. Um, I know the pointer doesn't work over here because you all don't see that. Um, I just, I, you know, I was thinking about that, but I keep using it. But I don't want to turn around my back to you either. So, but, so that's probably why I should be over there. But that's all right. Um, creation, the fall, the flood. Um, you could say the dispersion, um, or you could say the tower. Um, those are the four events of the Genesis 1 through 11. We're going to go through all those. And then 12 through 50, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Uh, Joseph, who was a joker. Uh, just kidding. All right. And then we have the um, basically a basic outline that's set by, by Moses, actually. He, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have um, these, these Toledots, the, the account. This is the account of the heavens and the earth. Uh, one and two four. Uh, this is the book of the generations of Adam, starting in five one, and then six nine. We have these are the records of generations of Noah, and so forth and so on. But it, Moses has given us a divine, a divinely inspired outline in the book of the book of Genesis. Uh, we'll quickly run through this. We talked about this last week. Okay, so let's get, let's start in Genesis chapter three. Um, we were there last time. And we'll pick back up uh, here. Uh, last time we, we, I think we made it through uh, verse 6. And so we'll, we'll, pick, we'll just quickly review that. And then we'll pick, back, pick up in, in verse 7. So somebody read Genesis 3, 1 through 3 for us. So then what we have here is this interaction between, between the serpent and the woman. Now, I, wanna, I want you to look back at Genesis 131. And someone tell me 
what's important about Genesis, I mean, all, all of it's important, but what, what is something that sticks out that we need to understand about Genesis one thirty one? Yeah, the creation was very good. So, so yes, all that God had made, behold, it was very good. And so, all that he had made, behold, it was very good. And so, so when creation, when God created, he created it very good. And look at Genesis 2.25. What does it say? Okay, so so then we see. I would I would say that chapter two I would argue is parenthetical, and so it's parenthetical meaning that that Genesis one thirty one. So the so then Moses picks back up I think in two twenty five and moves forward in the text. So that par- the parenthetical nature of of chapter two would be. I think describing what the what the earth was like when man was created, and then describing man's creation. Uh, so, any any questions about that? As how that and what Moses is doing here in chapter between chapters one, two, and three, just as a as a flow. Okay. So then he picks back up in then two twenty five, and he says they were both naked, and in chapter three, verse one. He says, now the serpent was more crafty, more crafty. That's actually a play on words, um, Genesis 131, but in, 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 220, in 225 he says that they were naked and not ashamed. Um, the serpent was more crafty, I, that's a play on words, it's literally more naked uh, than any uh, beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. Now, I want you also to notice in chapter 3, verse 1, we talked about this last time, but he calls, he calls um, what does he call God? What's the names he uses? Don't remember those names? One of them. What's that? Yeah, it's here. This is in the Legacy Standard Bible. What does he call God? Yeah, Yahweh God. So, what does that signify? What have we talked about? Yeah, Yahweh is relationship. What is Elohim? Yeah, Almighty. Yeah, he's. Yeah, well, he's he's high and lofty, lifted up. Remember Genesis chapter one. What does Moses call him? Anybody remember the Hebrew word? What's that? Elohim. Yeah, Elohim. And then in chapter 2, he begins to call him what? Yahweh. Yeah, Yahweh Elohim. Why is that important? It's kind of review, but... Yeah, so... Well, go, go... Keep going with that, Abby. Why? Why is that? Why does he call him both? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So both those ideas. 
That's right. So, so he, he's saying that, that yeah, our Elohim, who is high and lofty and, and separated from us, you know, there's a separation. What he's saying is that Elohim and Yahweh, of like Exodus um, 3, Exodus 34, you know, the, the Yahweh, Yahweh God, the idea there is that, there, that, that Elohim is also a relational God. He's not just high and lofty and lifted up, which makes him different than other gods, right? I mean, he's a dif- he's different than he's he's there's a you know other gods are not they're 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 fickle, but they're they're also they're, they don't and I and I say other gods is not as in God God is the only God, but you know the gods that we make up that people that men and women make up are usually they're gods that are not like God. Therefore, they're not. That's to say, usually they're not like the God of the Bible, and so so Moses makes that very clear that Elohim, who created everything, all powerful, is also a relational God. Rick. Yeah. 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 All powerful. And, it, and he and we see that. I mean, obviously, Genesis chapter one. That's what a God. He's that's the God he's, that Moses is describing, because he created everything. With I mean, if we if we understand the power of God to create everything, how scary is that, right? I mean, he he created the sun, moon, and stars, and so yet we see from the rest of Scripture, we or from the rest of the Pentateuch specifically, we see God Yahweh. Described. Uh, somebody read Exodus thirty four six, and we we've I know we've done this a lot, but I just again it's so it's so foundational that and it's so important even in this Genesis three account to understand what's happening. But it, then somebody read thirty four six all the way through um, all the way through the word sin in seven. Yeah, stop there. So, so you know, and part of the reason I love the the legacy standard bible the new the new translation is out is because it shows us the names of god here and it's interesting because it doesn't come out as well in what you just read um but he, it actually says then yahweh passed in front of him and called out yahweh yahweh god but he actually says yahweh yahweh elohim and then he goes on and describes who he is and so again we see that connection that moses is making to the idea that he is who he is. So, yes, sir. No, it, it, it doesn't bring out Elohim. It just, but that God is, is Elohim translated. So again, he, we see that together. Um, and we see that, and we see that connection in chapter, in chapter one, it's all Elohim. Chapter two, it's Yahweh Elohim. Then in chapter 3, we see it's Yahweh Elohim, but later on, as it goes on, he begins to call him just Yahweh. 
but we see some times where, like Exodus, Exodus 34, where he brings those two names back together. Um, what's that? Uh, why, Angie asked in the front, why, why not Elohim? I think because he's, I think, I think he's, I think Moses is bringing out the relational aspects of who God is. Oh, why did the translators not use Elohim? Um, well, I think the I think probably the the, be, the better question is why did they use Yahweh? And I think that's because I think that's I think that's because of Elohim. I I would I think what I what I understand of it is that Yahweh is a personal personal name, whereas Elohim. Elohim actually is not, it's, it's more of a, a, the Hebrew word for God. So it's not as, there's not a, and I think that's what I'm getting at here. It's not a name. It's a, it's more, a, if you will, even a description of who he is. So, if that makes sense. Any questions? Any thoughts? Rick? Not necessarily, I, but I would say most cases, yes. Keith, are you? Oh, I mean, I think I think I think I can say most cases when you see God in the Old Testament, it is Elohim. Um, yeah, that's correct. I mean, I, I I we've brought that out in Genesis one that that's the first. Yeah, yeah. It's in the plural, and it's it's a first one of the first indications of the Trinity in the in the, in the Old Testament. I don't. I mean, it doesn't prove the Trinity in in and of itself, but it is one indication of it. So, all right. Um, any other questions before we move on? Okay, and I and I I wanted to bring that out because I because I want you to see something here. Um. Notice Moses refers to God as Yahweh God in verse 1. And he said to the woman, Indeed, this is the serpent speaking, Indeed has God said. This is quoting, quoting the serpent. Notice he doesn't say Yahweh God. He says God. I think that's important because... I think that, again, I think this is one piece of the, the, this is one piece of the serpent adding doubt or giving doubt. Uh, again, we'll see we'll see the relation. I mean, we saw in chapter two. We're not going through this today, through it today, but in chapter two, we see the relational nature of God uh, and how He created them. But we also see it in in chapter 3, where if you look down to um, verse 8, then they heard of the sound of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, um, and the man and his wife hid themselves. And so um, we see there that, they, that, that Yahweh God dwelled with them. 
And so there was, a, there was certainly a relational aspect of God and his relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. So then we see the serpent asking, you shall not eat from the, has God said you shall not eat from any, of the tree, any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the tr- fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it, and you shall not touch it lest you die. So the question is, what, is that what God said? What did God say? So uh, I see some of you saying no. So what did God say? Yeah. Um, yeah, he, what he specifically said, somebody read verse 16 and 17. What did he specifically say? Yeah, now, how do we know, well, I won't ask that. Um, okay, so, so, going back up to verse 1, how is Satan's, so Satan's question, is he, is, how is he twisting God's words? Look at verse six, chapter 2, verse 16, versus the end of chapter 3, verse 1. Yeah, it is. Okay, yeah, so, so chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 16 emphasizes freedom, right? There's freedom to eat from any tree of the garden except for one. So that, would you say on the scale of, you know, being s- slaves to God in the sense of, of being restricted to being completely free, or let me just set aside, set aside slaves, restricted to free, where would you say that's on the, on the scale of, of that. What's that? Very free, yeah. What about chapter 3, verse 1? What about what Satan said? Yeah, restricted. Yeah, restrictive. I mean, so he's twisting God's words right here. I mean, he, right from the very, very beginning, from the time he opens his mouth, he's twisting. He's making, he's casting doubt. What's that? Yeah. Yes. Um, then uh, look at chapter 2, or 3 or 2, um, where the woman answers. We, I think we already asked the question. Did, um, look at it, 3, 2, and 3. 
How did, the, how did the woman do in answering? Yeah, I would say pretty accurate. Um, what do you think about that, you shall not touch it? What do you think, that's, what do you think is going on there? Yeah. What's that? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that you could take it two different ways, and I think Jenny you're right, and I think both ways are similar. One would be Adam may have said, "Hey, God told us don't eat from this tree." And Eve in her mind may have said, "You know what? I'm not even going to I'm not even going to touch it." To which she said later on to, to serp, the serpent, hey, God said don't even touch it. I mean, just kind of, not, not necessarily adding to God's word, but just sort of as a, as a you know, warning to herself. I mean, we do that, right? I mean, I'm not even, you know, I'm not even going to touch that. I'm not even going to go around that. I'm going to put a boundary around it so that I don't, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be part of that, Right? Or it could have been, and I, this is where I lean, but either one works. I lean toward Adam, when Adam told her about the tree, said, oh, you know, here's this tree. God said don't eat from the fruit. Don't even, don't even touch it. Don't, just don't, don't even go near it. I, I would say it's probably that, but it could be either way. But either way, I don't see this as, quote-unquote, it is adding to his word, but I don't see it as sinfully added. She didn't sin in adding to, to his word here. I think it was more of a, you know, I think we do that all the time, right? Um, you know, Billy Graham is famous that he would never, you know, travel alone or be alone with a woman, is, you know, in terms, of that, in terms of how he did that. And so it, it isn't necessarily sin to be alone with a woman outside of your wife, but it's dangerous, and so he put that hedge around himself so that he wouldn't be put in that position. And I think that's, that's valid. It's a valid way to, to think of, of sin. I, I, don't want, I don't even want to be anywhere near it. I don't want to walk, as uh, Rick Holland would say uh, he, in a sermon I heard years ago, you know, I, if I, I don't want to walk too close to the edge of the pool. You know, his, his kid, you know, you know, that we want to go how, see how close we can go without falling in, right? That's how that's the that's the nature of us, the nature of man. But but Rick Holland's th- thing is, don't even go near, don't don't go near that pool because you might, if you go near, you may fall in, all right? And so it's the same idea with sin. You know, putting that head. So I don't see this. Long story short, I don't see this as being sinful in and of itself. But it is a it is a different twist on things, on, on what God actually said. Um, okay, so let's, okay, so we've already looked at the serpent was more crafty. We've looked at God being referred to as Elohim by, by uh, the serpent. Um, now, 
at this point, we don't know much about him except that he was crafty or more crafty. Now, in somebody turned to Revelation 12, 9, and somebody else turned to Revelation 20, verse 2. Whoever gets there, y'all read those. Yeah, 12, 9, and 20, verse 2. Yeah, it's up there on the, on the screen. Yeah, tw- which one are you at? That's yeah, fine. Go ahead and read it. Okay, so we see clearly that John identifies the serpent as Satan. Um, Revelation 12, 9. Okay, again, John identifies him as, as Satan. So, so, John also in 1 John 3, 7 through 10, tells us that all the, who practice sin are of the devil. Um, and so he, again, makes it clear the nature of, of Satan. If you wanna, somebody wants to turn there and read verses 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Yeah, I don't think, are you in 1 John 3, 7? Okay, so so we see then that 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 John is making there's a theology here of of the devil and who he is and verse eight because the devil sins from the beginning. Again, we see then that in Genesis there's you know this beginning of understanding of who the devil is. And John is building on that in chapter three, first John chapter three, verse verses seven through ten. And just as a just as a side note, what what is the greatest way that we prove that we're of God or of Satan? What's that? Okay, but what what about what is the what's the main way that we prove who we believe? 
Okay? Okay, give me something more specific. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so what is the, then what is the main way, what is the main test for whether we're in the devil or, or, in, or in God? The main test. Evidence, if you will. I mean, I'm just saying. If I if I were to say, if I if I if I were to look at myself and say, am I of God or am I of of Satan? What is the main? Yeah. What is the evidence? Probably. Or actions. What actions? What are what actions? I mean, he's he's very specific here. First John three. Look at verse 10. Does righteousness? Yes. Angie just said it. What's that? It is. Love. Love specifically for our brothers. Yeah, that's, that's how we know. I mean, that's the main indication of whether we're in Christ or not. I mean, we can say we're righteous all we want. And, and there, I mean, I don't know of many people who say that they're, I mean, outside of Christians who under the, understand theology, but I'm saying I don't hear very many people saying I'm not righteous, that, I don't, that I, I'm not right. Most people believe they're right. But what's the main indication that that's actually true? What's that? That's right. That's that's one indication of that I'm truly in Christ. What's that? Yeah, Miss Elaine said picking up a 94-year-old and bringing her to church. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, if they're not in, if they're not in Christ, no. Even though they say they, even though they say they do, that's a matter of. But it's a matter of, as Abby says, it's a matter of the evidence. You know. They don't truly love them. That's right. Yeah, I mean that's a. I mean, and that is tough. I mean, I'm not. I'm certainly not. But I mean, we see it. I mean, how how much do we see it? I mean, let me ask you this. Yeah. How much? Yeah. How much? How many of you have the have a really? And I'm not talking about your immediate family. I'm talking about your whole family. You know, a really great family that never never has any struggles. I don't see anybody raising their hand. It's not that 
It's not that you don't love them. I'm not saying that. But, I mean, why, do, why are there so many problems in the world? Sin, which is ultimately, you know, because, I mean, Jesus said, and we're, we're kind of off track here, but Jesus said what are the two greatest commandments? Yeah, that's what he said. Sum up the law and the prophets. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, the, and what we see here then is that it really forms two sides. Those who don't love God and don't love neighbor. Those who do love God and do love neighbor. Those who don't do righteousness. Those who do righteousness. That's the, that's the clear the clear division, and we see that beginning here in, in Genesis 3. Okay, so... That is exactly. Yeah, that is ex. No, we need to state the obvious. Yes, that's correct. I mean, yes. I mean, I I would assume I could be wrong about this, but some of the greatest sinners ever to live did quote unquote kind things at some point. I mean, I you know whether it was it may have been they petted their dog I don't know but but that's right mine landmine IUD yep absolutely yeah it, it, but it's a matter of motive yes. Absolutely. Okay, we kind of got off track, and that's not good because we only have 10 minutes left. All right, so uh, picking up in verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now that's a, that's a complete, like, I mean, not, he's just basically calling God a liar. I mean, that's, that's exactly what's going on there. Um, now, I want to get into, we've kind of covered this so far, I want to get into um, verse 5, it says that in the day you eat from it, this is the devil, in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Um, now, notice that Satan always promises good he always always promises something good but obviously we know from the rest of scripture as we develop a theology of satan we know that he is a deceiver now the woman the woman here um, says that in verse six the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise so she took from, the, from its fruit and ate and gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, what I want to focus on really quickly 
is this idea of, of what's happening here. And so the idea of temptation. And when did she? When did sin actually occur? Um, and when does sin actually occur in our own lives? So, I would say that this—you know—this is the nature of temptation. She saw that the the tree was good for food. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes, and she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. So that is the that is the temptation. Now, if you turn to James one. 13 through 15, you'll see the process of temptation and giving birth. So somebody read James 1, 13 through 15. Okay, stop right there. The temptation is could be used to describe wild game being lured into traps. The idea of carried away and enticed has the idea of a, it's a fishing term that means to capture or to catch with bait. So the temptation then is something that would lure us away. So we see something. This is now think of this in terms of, of Eve. We see something that is desirable. Is that now sin? Not yet. Not yet. It's very um instructive to how we battle sin, right? So, I mean, we're clearly looking at Eve here. She saw this. It was something that was desirable. She saw that it was clearly desirable for three different reasons, right? But she had not sinned yet. No, no sin had been committed so, same thing for us. We see something that's desirable. That, you know, we, we, it isn't necessarily, it isn't sin at that point. The question is, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? Now, you know, for the male, you know, this is very clear because males are more visual. Um, in terms of how we handle things. So we, we see something and we, we certainly are attracted by it. But obviously, because this is Eve, it's not limited to, to men. Um, but it is something that we, you know, something that we see that is desirable, that, is been, that God has said no to. That's not good for us, if you will. Any questions about that before we move on?
More so. I don't know. One of the women will have to answer that question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm just using men more as an example, but I, it's not that it's limited to men. It's just that we, we definitely are more visual that way. Yeah, so... so And, and, and he used mine? I think the same thing. It's, so, so, but I think that we're going to answer that question in a moment. Okay? And I, so I'll, I'll kind of put it off. Okay, so go back to who was reading James? Okay, keep, pick back up, Jenny. Okay, so this idea of lust is actually an extreme desire for something. Let me ask you, is lust sin? Rick says no. Who says yes? Everybody that says yes, raise your hands. Everybody that says yes, I mean, don't, don't hesitate if you believe it. What's that? Jesus. Yeah. Okay. Okay, this is a trick question, and I'll tell you why it's a trick question. Somebody read Luke twenty-two fifteen. There's a reason why that verse is up there. Twenty-two fifteen. It's a trick question, but it's very instructive. Yeah, so, so Jesus says, I have eagerly desired, I have earnestly desired to eat the Passover with you. Guess what? I have lusted. I have epithemia. Is the Greek word epithemia. I have eagerly desired. So, is lust sin? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked that. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we're not saying. Okay, it, it, it's not just context. Yeah, it's but it, it is, but it isn't. I mean, it, it it's more specific than that. So this particular word in the Greek language, how it works is it's not the desire itself that's the problem. It is the object of the desire. Therefore, Jesus could have an earnest desire to eat the Passover, and that obviously, very obviously, incredibly obviously, is not sinful. So, so, but then, but then when we have an earnest desire for something that's not, that is sinful, that's when it becomes a problem. And so, so again, I just want to make that, that clear that what James is talking about here is an extreme desire for something that is, that God has said no to. 
Yeah. Now we've made the you know the connotation of lust is sexual. So I would be careful not to to use that term in that sense, but in the sense that epithemia is used, that is correct. In the sense of what the way epithemia is understood, yes, I can have an I can have a quote unquote earnest desire for my wife, and that is not sin, because God has said that. That's right. That's right. Any, yes, that's right. Why is it sin? Yes, that is correct. So what Angie said is, is that in the Genesis pass, passage, which is where we're trying to, uh, what we're trying to understand, it is sin, and why is it sin? Because God said don't partake. God said don't do that. Now, it is, it, it is a sinful desire, is what I'm saying. Now, has sin, has sin been come to fruition? Not yet. James says it. I think you read it already, but in um, where am I at? Um, yeah. So it says, "When lust has conceived, what does that mean?" Yeah, it's been given life. It's been given life. When I actually when I actually act upon it, when I act upon it, that's when it becomes sin. It becomes, it says, he says, um, it gives, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. That is the point of sin being, being in sin. And when sin is fully matured, it brings forth death. And so we see that, and that's obviously connected back to Genesis. So then, because he said he's in the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Um, okay, so so then the woman, she saw that it was desirable. She took from its fruit and she ate. Now, is this was that a sinful act for her to do that? Yeah. Now I don't know what would have happened, and I think I would take it to be yes that that was a sinful act. But the reason I would take it this and this and funny enough, we just got back to it's ten o two and we just got back to where we ended last time. So, but I think it's important that we go through this clear, like we really understand it. So that's why we went through it again. But I meant to get further. But um, I think that's why. So last time I said she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Now, obviously, well, the question is, what is the scene here? Where was the husband in all this? What's that? You don't think so? You don't think so? So what does it mean when it says with her? 
And that, and that could be very well true. So the scene, the scene could be they were separated, is what you're describing. Satan comes on, comes to her, and he has, she has this exchange. At what point would you say he came to be with her? Because it's clear that she came, that that he was there, but at the at some point. So what, at what point would you say that? I mean, I want you to wrestle with the text. I'm not. I, I want you to wrestle with the text. Yeah, Kyle. Yeah, for sure, I think we understand the sequence to be she took from the fruit, she ate from the fruit, then she gave to the husband. The question is, where was the husband at this point? And is it, is it, is it important? No. Yeah, he didn't, he didn't, no, he knew. So, so look, we can, I think we can establish what Abby's saying, that he knew what was, he knew it was what, against what. Deceived the, the man? No. No, I, I don't think we can say that at all. I think he, because he, he was the one given the command. Back in Genesis 2. He was the one given the command. I'm just... I'm just looking at the... Yeah, I'm just... I'm wanting... 
Yes. Yeah. Okay. We have to. We're it's ten ten oh eight. So we have to stop. Okay. Let, here. Let me ask you. Let me say this or ask this question. Why does it matter? Because I, I, I want you to wrestle with the text. I, I'm, I want you to look at the text. I want you to come to, to a conclusion from the text. Not because I said it, but not because I think it's true, but because you've wrestled with the text. So why does it matter? What are the implications? Jenny, I mean, you're, you're, I'm not singling you out, but you're pretty adamant that he wasn't there. So... So why are you, why are and I think Keith is is with you. So okay, that's a that's a great text. So maybe next time we'll pick up there. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I agree. I agree. But does that does it matter whether he was there or not? Okay. That's right. Deceived the, the husband? No, I don't think so. No, no. What's that? I think it would matter in terms of degree, right? I think if he if he was there with her, yeah, I agree. But I think it would matter in terms of if he was there with her, ex- witnessing this exchange and and failed to protect her, it would be worse. It would be much worse. I agree. I'm not. I'm just saying degree. That's the reason I say degree. 
It's a matter of if he would have been there, had he been there in that exchange, it would have been it would have been worse in the sense of of degree. Not necessarily. I think either way, it's still sin. Obviously, it's what the Bible says. But then you've got that look. Well, that's why we're doing this, is that it is fascinating, and I want you guys to think through it. And I don't want you to be frustrated, but that's the nature of Bible study, is to really, really dive into this stuff and think about it. So, yes, sir, and then we, got, we have to close. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so so yes, so what we'll do next time is we'll pick up here. Uh, I won't do all the extra stuff, but we'll pick up here in first in um, in Genesis three this verse. But I tell you what we will do, um, like like Keith said, we got, we'll look and see what Paul has to say about it. So if we, if we see if that sheds any light on what we're talking about. So we'll pick up on this discussion next time. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this uh, opportunity. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be any great frustration here, but that we would just seek to under, understand, understand your word as for what it says. and Not what we think it says, not what we want it to say, but for what it says and what it ultimately means. So Lord, I pray that we would just be Bereans and that we would really work hard to dig dig deep into your word pray for this morning that this uh, the service pray for Keith as he brings the word that you would uh, just be with us and be with him as he preaches in Christ's name amen